You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, when I think back about high school, I kind of shudder uh, when I do that, but if there was an award for the most unlikely person in our graduating class to be a pastor, I'm pretty sure I would have won that award. Um, that, that was not the route that I was expecting in life. Uh, anytime someone asks me the question, um, what do you do? When I hear myself say, I get the privilege of pastoring Stonegate, I am as shocked as anyone. I just cannot believe that is what the Lord has done with my life. And, uh, you know, it's funny for me to watch the follow-up question that people so often ask um, once they realize that I uh, pastor. Uh, So often people will ask, uh, okay, so I know you're a pastor, but what exactly do you do? What, is it, what does it mean to, to be a pastor? Now, uh, there's a lot of ways to talk about the, the work and role of pastoring, but I love uh, my favorite place in the Bible to, to go and look at, at, at what a pastor is. What a pastor does is in 2 Corinthians, and, and this is how Paul thinks about his work as a pastor. Paul is a pastor, a church planter. He's planted all these uh, churches in Asia Minor. And, and listen to how he describes the role of pastor. Th- this is what he says. He says, not that we lord it over your faith, but here's what we do as a pastor. But we work with you for your joy. We work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. This is how Paul sees the work of pastoring. As a pastor, this is the job. The job is to work for your joy. That's what Paul is saying. My job is to to get beside you and to begin to work with you for your joy. Now, that's surprising to many people that Paul would see his sort of role like that, his job like that, that Paul would take joy that seriously. Uh, And I think the the reason it's surprising to us is that many of us have bought into this um, lie. And the lie goes something like this. In your life, it is either Jesus or it's joy. So, so it's one or the other. It's either Jesus or it's joy. So uh, you can follow Jesus, but if you follow Jesus, you're going to have to forsake your joy. Or you can follow joy, but if you follow joy, you're going to have to forsake Jesus. But in the scriptures, that is not the way uh, it talks about our life with Jesus. In the scriptures, it's not Jesus or joy. It's Jesus as our joy. That's the way the Bible thinks about the Christian life. Uh, Jesus undoubtedly creates a a major fork in the road for all of us. If if you say yes to following Jesus, it is going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of things in your life. But friends, joy is not one of them. It is not one of them. God has hardwired your heart for joy. Every human heart wants happiness. God has made you that way with a heart yearning for that and and wanting that. And the Bible invites your joy-hungry heart to come and get your joy in the person of Jesus. It, It invites you to do that. So Paul sees his job is helping you do that very thing. Taking your joy-hungry heart and pointing it toward Jesus, helping you in the pursuit of your joy. That's how he sees his job, helping that, that joy, that deep, durable delight in God fill and overflow in your heart. That's, that's the role of a pastor. Not just Paul, but, but of every pastor. 
Pastoring is helping people in their pursuit of joy. Now, that takes us to Psalm 32, because in Psalm 32, this is what David is doing. He's looking at people and he's saying, I want to help you in your pursuit of joy. I want to show you where joy is. I want to work with you for your joy. I want to point your joy-hungry hearts in the direction of where joy will be found in your life. The good life will be found. The life that, that your hungry hearts want. I want to point you in that direction toward joy. So Psalm 32 is going to come to us in two parts. Uh, and here's the two parts for this morning. The contrast and the question. The contrast and the question. First, the contrast. Uh, we'll just start in verse 1. Follow along with me there. David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, let's just start with the first word of Psalm 32, that word blessed. You could translate that word happy. That would be an equally valid translation. Happy is the one. That word blessed is talking about a person who is happy hearted. Their heart is full of joy, that deep, durable delight in God. It is, it is overflowing with the joy that only Jesus can give. That, that is a blessed person in Psalm 32. That word blessed is describing the good life. It's describing the life you want, that your heart is hungry for. That, that's what that word blessed is describing. Now, uh, it's interesting when you just read through the entirety of the Psalms. There's not very many Psalms that start out like this. Blessed is the one. There, there's not many that do. There's a few, but not many. Uh, here's an example of one that does, though. Uh, it's Psalm 1. Uh, the Psalms open uh, like this. In, in Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, Right? So, so they're not walking over there in, in that way. They're walking with Jesus. They, they, they walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor seat, uh, sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, but here's the blessed man. Uh, but, but he who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So Psalm 1 has something to say about the good life. It, it is the psalmist saying, let me point your heart to the good life. Where your heart's going to be happy and brimming full of joy. Let me point you in that way. And Psalm 1 describes the blessed man as a man who walks in the ways of God. That's Psalm 1. A person who is walking hand in hand with Jesus in his ways. That will lead you to the blessed life according to Psalm 1. But Psalm 32 is different. Psalm 32 is written to a different crowd addressing a different thing. Psalm 32 is written to those who have tried to walk in the ways of God, but have utterly failed at it. That's who Psalm 32 is for. Psalm 32 is for those who have absolutely blown it. It's for those who are standing in the ashes of their life. Like they, they, they have sinned in ways that have even shocked themselves. That's who Psalm 32 is for. It's for those who would look back over their life and see things in their past uh, that they would really like to take to the grave with them, that they're embarrassed about, filled with shame about, that when they think about these things in their life, they just feel like total failures. In other words, Psalm 32 was written for us. 
for people just like you, just like me. That's who Psalm 32 is written for. If you feel like a failure, David is writing to you. And to you, David says this in verse one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against, the, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Now, I just want you to notice the three words David uses to describe our wrongdoing in this text. Uh, you get the first one, transgression. You see that there in verse one. Uh, that's a word to describe um, our open, intentional rebellion against God. That, that's what the word transgression is getting at. It's a way of seeing the world that says, um, God, you are not going to be God anymore. I'm going to be God. You're going to take orders, not me. Uh, so God, why don't you just get off your throne so I can sit on your throne? That, that's transgression. It's a way of seeing life that looks like that. And then he uses the word sin. Uh, sin is missing the mark. It's an archery term, right? So, so it's this um, idea of there's a bullseye. I'm going to shoot the arrow at the bullseye, but I just don't hit the bullseye. My life is always off uh, line. It's always missing what I'm aiming for. If this is the standard, I'm just never meeting it. That's sin in the scriptures. And then he uses the word iniquity. Uh, iniquity is a way of describing how sin has twisted us all. Uh, in Psalm 51, David says, we were born in iniquity. In other words, we were born uh, with a heart so twisted by sin that when we come out of the womb, uh, we see God as an enemy, uh, not as a friend. We were born with hearts that are spring-loaded to reject God. That's what iniquity means. Right now, take all those three words together, and those three words are just encompassing all the ways that a human being can belittle God, wrong God, reject God. That's what all three of those words are doing. They're just, it's the whole category of every way that we fail with God. Every way that we stumble into sin with God. That's what David wants us to see. And then after David uses those three words to talk about the totality of sin in his life, in your life, in my life, here's the thing David says to us. All of that, all of that wrongdoing, all of that rejection, all of that transgression, all of that sin, all of that iniquity, it can all be forgiven. That's amazing, isn't it? It can all be forgiven, David says. David, in a lot of ways in, in this psalm, is just, he's wanting us to turn our gaze up toward God's joy-producing grace. That, that's what David is doing. He just wants us to behold the grace of God that covers our sin. That, that forgives us. So look again at verses one and two. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression, all the ways that we openly, intentionally rebel against God, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That, that word means to lift up or remove all of those transgressions removed from you. Happy is the one whose transgressions are, are lifted up, taken away. As far as the east is from the, from the west, remembered no more by God. Blessed is the one who that is true of you. Just imagine for a moment you have been caught in an act of high treason. Uh, you have been taken to court, you have been found guilty, 
and you have been marched out in front of a firing squad. Every man has his hand on the triggers and they're about to pull them. And right before those triggers are pulled, your pardon is announced. That's how David feels in this text. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. He goes on, blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Happy is the one whose sin is covered. All the ways that we have missed the mark, all the ways that we have failed to meet God's standard, fallen short of the glory of God. Blessed is the one who, who in every one of those moments, the perfect record of Jesus' righteousness is like a robe that, that covers you. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and imperfections. He sees the perfect record of Jesus' righteousness. But blessed is the one whose sin is covered. He goes on, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. If the Lord counted your iniquity, your sin, my sin, our sin, who could stand against the Lord? Answer, no one. We would all be wiped away by the wrath of God. But blessed is the man, David said, who who the Lord sees their iniquity, but rather than counting all of those iniquities against them, he holds them against Jesus. Blessed is that man. Uh, In a lot of ways, the point of Psalm 32, these first couple of verses, is just to get us gazing at the cross of Christ. Uh, The the dying love of Jesus, there on the cross, Jesus is crushed for our iniquities. Pierced for our transgressions. Paul is just holding the dying, or David is just holding the dying love of Jesus before us. Uh, Just asking us to behold the, the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus from which all of that forgiveness flows, all of that covering flows. He's just asking you to get in your mind's eye Jesus hanging from a cross. This is one of the things I love so much about David in this psalm. David cannot get over the fact that he has been forgiven. He just cannot get over it. It is the most amazing thing in the world for him to know this is how high my sin goes, but yet grace goes even higher. It it is just, his heart is awestruck by that. And I think there's just a moment there for us to linger and ask the question, when is the last time our hearts have been freshly amazed by the forgiveness of God? When's the last time that's happened? Where God has just freshly amazed you with his grace. Uh, Then look at the end of verse 2. David says, blessed is the man, and then look at that last phrase in verse 2, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now that phrase takes us to the story that is sitting behind this psalm. David opens the door uh, in, in this psalm, in particular in that phrase, and looks into so that we can see the darkest season of David's life. He lets us into that place. And uh, that dark season starts in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You don't have to turn there, but let me just fill you in on it. Uh, David, in a moment of unchecked selfishness, sees a woman and wants the woman. So he takes her and he breaks the seventh commandment. 
Then uh, it gets worse. To cover his tracks, he then murders Uriah. Uriah is David's friend, one of his soldiers. He murders Uriah, his friend, and Bathsheba's husband. Right, this is a grievous moment of sin. I mean, don't pass over that. This is a man totally wrecking a family and murdering the husband. I mean, it doesn't get much more grievous than that, much more terrible than that. But then after every failure in all of our lives, and this one in David's, uh, there is a fork in the road. Uh, What are we going to do after we have failed? After we have totally blown it and committed grievous sin, what are we going to do then? Uh, Here are the two options. There's a fork in the road. Option one, one path is we can in that moment decide I will walk in the light. I'm going to confess this. Come what may, I am going to walk in the light. I'm going to bring Jesus into this. I'm going to bring this to Jesus. I'm going to walk in the light. That's option one. Option two, we can walk in the dark. We can choose to, to, to sort of weave, weave that web of lies around our sin, trying to cover it. We can begin to practice deceit, pretense, to, to keep up appearances, to cover and conceal our sin. And this is what David chose. David, after his sin, sadly chose the dark. Pretending, lying, concealing, being honest with no one. He wasn't honest to himself. He wasn't honest to the Lord. He wasn't honest to the people around him. He chose the dark. But God knew. God saw, even in the dark. God saw David. And then David goes on in verse 3 to describe his days of walking in the dark. Look at verse 3. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, okay, verse 3 is not a theoretical statement from David. He's not saying, hey, I've heard that this is what happens when we walk in the dark. That's not what's happening in verse 3. This is firsthand experience. He is describing what his life felt like when he was hiding his sin from God, when he was practicing deceit, when he just did not have the nerve to be honest with himself, with God, with other people. This is what his life felt like when he was pretending. He says in verse 3, For when I kept silent, when I refused to acknowledge my sin, confess my sin, when I refused to walk in the light, when I was walking in the dark, this is what it felt like. My bones were wasting away. In the darkness, David was dying. This is what he's saying. And this is what unconfessed sin does to a human soul. Day by day by day, slowly but surely, we die. Our souls shrivel. Joy fades. The life that we were made for vanishes. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, David said. Look at verse 4. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Your hand was heavy upon me. Whose hand is David talking about? God's hand, right? God's hand was heavy upon, or we could say it this way, against David. Now, Paul is right in Romans 8 to say, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? That's an amazing thing that every follower of Jesus, everyone who is in Christ can know about your life. If God is for you, it does not matter who's against you. But friends, the opposite is also true, isn't it? If God is against you, what does it matter who is for you? If God's hand is heavy upon you, heavy against you, it doesn't matter if the rest of the world is for you. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. David is using his experience to teach us that when we choose the dark, we force God, because God is for us, but we force God to actually work against us. God's hand, his heavy hand, is not there to punish David. It's there in pursuit of David. God's heavy hand is the grace of God that goes after us, even in the dark. It is the mercy of God who meets us in the dark, in the darkness of David's life. And here's what the mercy of God was doing in David's life as he chose the darkness. It was making David absolutely miserable. That's what was happening to David. His life was miserable. His life had shrunk. And again, that, that heavy hand of God wasn't there to destroy David. It was there to deliver him. God made him miserable for the sake of his rescue. In a lot of ways, what you're seeing in verse 4 is a storied presentation of Hebrews 12.6. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. And if you are in Christ, right? If, if, you're one of, if you're one of God's kids, then when we choose the dark, we are saying yes to the discipline of God. Now, how deep the pain of discipline goes? Well, that depends on us. What is our pain tolerance, right? That's what it depends on. But, but here is what the scriptures are showing us here in verse 4. God will do whatever it takes to rescue his kids. When, when we choose the dark, the mercy of God is going to show up in the dark. The, the pursuit of God, the grace of God is going to make it into the dark where we are. Bringing as much discipline, as much misery as it takes to rescue us. So verse 4 does carry a warning for all of those who have made a home in the dark. Now is that you today? If that's you. It's carrying that warning. God loves, he loves you too much to let you stay right there in the dark. He loves you too much for you to make a home there in the dark, for, for him to, to leave that home undisturbed there. He loves you too much for that. The mercy of God will knock on that home that you've made in the dark. The mercy of God will knock on that home and come in the front door of your life. That, that moment is going to happen. God, God loves you too much to let you win in this. T too much. So the question really becomes, how much misery do we want in our life? How much of the discipline of God do we want? And David is looking at you. He's looking you in the eye and me in the eye. And he's saying, can you learn from my life? I want you to see what I did, sinned, and then troubled my trouble by concealing my sin, making a home in the dark. And this is how the Lord handled me. And it's how the Lord will handle you. 
Now, the contrast that we just see in verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, that contrast now sets up really the question of the psalm. The central question this psalm is trying to answer is, how did David go from misery, right, the mercy of God, the heavy hand of God being against him, how did, how did David go from that misery back to joy? How did he go from, my bones are wasting away back to what he would describe as that blessed life? Blessed is the one, happy is the one. How did that transition happen? How, how did that happen in this text? How did he go from, my, my strength is sapped to, my heart is just brimming with life and joy? How did that happen in, in this text? The answer comes in verse 5. Look at verse 5. In a lot of ways, this is the hinge. Verses 5 and 6 is the hinge of Psalm 32. How does misery turn to joy? Verse 5, David says, I acknowledged my sin. That, that's how. I acknowledged my sin to you. All, all that sin that I'd been keeping silent about, ignoring, refusing to acknowledge. David says, I, I piled it all up and I brought it all to God. I acknowledged my sin to you. And then he goes on, and I did not cover my iniquity. All of that sin, all of that iniquity that I had been um, weaving all of these lies to cover and, and to conceal. All of that, all of that sin that I've been working so hard to keep out of sight. He said, I just gave up. I just stopped doing it. I just said, no more. I'm not going to hide any of this any longer. He stopped covering. David said, I just, I stopped lying to myself. I stopped lying to others. I stopped lying to God. And I finally told the truth. And I did not cover my iniquity. And then he goes on to say, And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He's saying, here's what I did. I, I brought my transgressions before the Lord and I named them. I confessed them. I, I hauled them out into the light and I owned my transgressions. David's saying, I, I brought them before the Lord and I said, God, I have broken the seventh commandment. I took another man's wife. I wrecked a whole family, God. Th this is how I have failed. And then to trouble my trouble, I chose the dark. I, I covered it. I, I murdered my friend Uriah. In an effort to protect myself, conceal my sin, I, I, God, I took another man's life. And God, I am now standing here in the ashes of my life, completely exposed, feeling absolutely naked, oh God, uncovered. And I'm doing the only thing I know to do. It's just to throw my life upon your grace, oh God. David said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now we need to ask the question, how did God respond to his confession? What did God do in the moment that David confessed his sin? He came out into the light. What did God do in that moment? Look, look what the text said. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you, God, and you shamed me. No, that's not what the text says, is it? God, I, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, to, to you, O oh God, and, and you embarrass me, God. 
That, that's not what the text says, is it? I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you, and you killed me when I did it, God. That's not what it says, is it? No, what does the text say? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Friends, if this is our God, if he is that gracious, if he is that willing to forgive, if he is that willing to cover anyone for any of their sins, what else can we do but turn ourselves into him than to bring our rap sheet and say, God, this is everything on it, to come out of hiding into our gracious God. Will you look me in the eye? Many of us in this room have been hiding our sin for years. And Psalm 32 is in the Bible to remind you that David's story can be your story today. His freedom can be your freedom. His joy can be your joy. This story right here can be your story today. Today. And verse 6 offers the invitation into that story. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. That's David saying, will you just follow my example? Will you just, will you just bring all of your sin into the light to your gracious, forgiving God so that your bones can stop wasting away and you can find your life again? Can you do that? Will you do that? He's pleading with you. He's looking us in the eye today and saying, this is the only way to life. It's the only way. It's to bring our sin out to the light. Stop hiding, concealing. And trust that when you confess your sin, you will be forgiven and your heart will now get to overflow with joy again, with life again, with happiness again. Now, look at, I just want to point out a couple of things in the rest of this psalm. I'm not going to camp there for long, but I just want you to notice a, a couple of the things that David experienced in the aftermath of his honesty. Because we're all like, oh my gosh, if I do that, what's going to happen to me? I want you to see what happened to David when he walked in the light. When he brought his sin out of hiding, out of the dark, into the light. Look at what happens to him in verse 7. David says, you are a hiding place for me. God, this is what you have become for me. Now think about this text. For, for the last year of David's life, that's how long that dark season roughly went on for. For the last year of David's life, he had been hiding from God. He confesses his sin. And you know what that instantly did? It allowed him to hide in God. Hiding from to hiding in covered by the grace of Jesus. Jesus' perfect record of righteousness covering you, hiding you, concealing all of your sin for you. That's what David experienced. You are a hiding place for me, David says. 
And then he goes on to say, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I love that, that statement. That's an amazing statement. Uh, because here's what we all think. We all by nature think that if I confess my sin to God, like this sin, like uh, the one that we talk about hiding sin, it's like the one that instantly comes up because it's the one you're terrified to tell anyone about. Uh, we, we naturally think about sins like that, that if I confess those sins, the worst of my deeds to God, if I do that, if I confess those deeds, God will destroy me. That, that's what's going to happen on the other end of this. And, and David's saying in this psalm, you're wrong. God won't destroy you. He will deliver you with shouts and singing. Gosh, friends, that can be your story today. Today, that can be your story. You can experience that part of God's heart that leaps toward every sinner who will own their sin, confessing it before him. And then look at verse 8. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you should go, God says. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I, I just love that that imagery and, and those phrases in there. Uh, one of my favorite books is uh, a book called Redeeming Love. It's a retelling of the, the biblical story of Hosea. And, uh, you know, if you think about the, the book of Hosea in the Bible, it is a picture of God's pursuing love. That's what Hosea is. It's a picture of God's pursuing love. Uh, and, and it's a picture that is worked out of Hosea pursuing his wayward wife who just keeps giving herself to prostitution, but yet Hosea just keeps going after her. Right, just keeps loving her, even in the midst of all of her sin and all of her brokenness. Hosea just, just keeps going after her. And it's, it's in the Bible, that whole story, that book is in the Bible to show us what God's love looks like in action. That's why Hosea is in the Bible. And so this is just, a, redeeming love is a, is a retelling of that story. And my favorite scene in the book is when Michael, Hosea, he's the guy picturing Hosea. Uh, Michael, he wakes up Sarah. Uh, that's uh, Gomer in the biblical story. He wakes up Sarah in the middle of the night and they go on this long hike up the side of a mountain. They finally get to the place that he wanted them to go at the top of this mountain and they sit down and eventually the sun peeks over the horizon. And as the sun peeks over the horizon, they're up on this beautiful mountain, the sun peeks over this horizon and the sun lights up this whole valley that Michael owns. And with the sun lighting up this beautiful valley in central California, Michael looks at Sarah and says, this is the life I want to give you. I don't want you to live in the darkness of a brothel. And this is the life that I want for you. And this is what God is doing in verse 8. He's looking at everyone who has made a home in the dark, just terrified to come out into the light. And he's saying, if, if you'll have the courage to confess your sin, to come out into the light, I will open up a whole new life for you. A whole new life for you. I'll instruct you, I'll teach you, I'll counsel you. With my eye upon you, I will open up a future that is so bright for you that if you could see it right now, it would blind you. That's what I want for you. 
That, that's the life that I'm promising on the other side of you coming out into the light, on the other side of you confessing your sin. So here's the way that I want to finish up today. I want to restate the central question of Psalm 32 in just the most pointed way that I can. And here's the question Psalm 32 wants us to wrestle with. Here's the question. This, this is what Psalm 32 is about. Is where can failures like David, who even compound their failures by, by choosing the dark after they have failed, where can failures like David find joy again? That's the question. How can they do that? Where can they do that? Where can those who have failed and not just failed, but now have, have made a habit of faking it, of keeping up appearances, just sowing all of those lies of deception, have practiced dishonesty for years now, concealing all of that deceit. How can people trapped in all of that, how can men and women trapped in that, in the dark, how can they find joy again? And the answer of Psalm 32 is simple. Here's its answer. Friends, joy lives in the light. Joy lives in the light. It doesn't live in the dark. You, you will not find joy in the dark. No, when David walked in the dark, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. Joy, my friends, lives right there in the light. And here's why joy lives in the light. It's because that's where Jesus lives. Jesus isn't in the dark. Jesus is waiting for you right there in the light. This is why John, 1 John 1, 7 says that, friends, walk in the light because Jesus, he, he is in the light. That, this is where Jesus lives. And this is the place Jesus is inviting our entire church toward. This is where he wants us all. This is where he invites us all, right there in the light. So ask yourself this question, what is keeping me in the dark? I mean, verse nine in Psalm 32 shows us that we can resist. We can be like a horse, we can be like a donkey, and we can just refuse the invitation from God. So what is keeping you out of that light right now? What is keeping you in the dark? Gosh, there's a lot of reasons that we go with the dark. Uh, Jesus gives us one of the reasons in John chapter 3. He says, uh, here's why we stay in the dark, because we love the darkness. And that's just Jesus' way of saying that we stay in the dark because we love our sin. And we don't want to let our sin go. We're terrified to let our sin go. Because that, that sin feels to us like the greatest thing in the universe. Yet David is looking at us today and reminding us that all of those things that you love in the dark, 
they are leading to your death. That, that's where those things will take you, is to your death. His bones were wasting away. The heavy hand of the Lord was, was against David. And friends, if you are in Christ, the discipline of God will walk through the door of your life. The intervening grace of God, the, the heavy hand of God doing whatever it takes, even bringing you to a place of misery, if that's what's required to get you out of the dark. So some of us stay in the dark because we love the dark. But for others of us, the reason we are in the dark and not right there in the light is fear. It's just fear. We're, we're scared. This week, I watched a 60-second video that I've just not been able to get out of my, uh, my mind. Um, it's the story of this lady rescuing a stray dog. The dog is under a car and she steps up beside the car. And as soon as she steps up beside the car, the dog just starts to whimper. He's terrified, absolutely terrified. She, she bends down beside the car and he just loses it. I, whimpering, terrified. I, I just, he is as scared as a dog could be under this little car. And all the, the, the things the lady's done is just bend down beside the car. And then the lady begins to gently plead with the dog. She stretches out her hand, assures the dog, it's okay if you come out. It's okay. And the little dog starts to creep forward through these terrified whimpers. And finally the dog comes out into the light. And then the lady grabs her. And the dog loses it again. It's just terrified. And then it cuts to a scene just a few minutes later. They're, they're driving down the road in the car. The dog is in the lady's lap. She's just hugging the dog, embracing the dog, kissing the dog. The dog is licking her. I mean, it's just a beautiful scene just a few minutes later. And I just, when I'm looking at that video this week, I'm like, that is so us. That is a picture of us coming out of the dark. I want to do it, but what will happen if, if I come out into the light. If I come into the light, if I come, if I come there, will I die out there? Will my life be over out there if I'm honest about my sin, confess my sin? Is it going to kill me if I do that? And to everyone who feels fear about walking into the light today, Psalm 32 was written for you. David didn't die when he came back into the light. You know what David did? David got his life back. That's what happened to David. He got his life back. And friends, today God is offering your life back to you. You can leave here with your, li with your life back. It just requires you to walk into the light. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? He had his whole speech rehearsed, right? His whole speech. He's walking home. He's come to his senses. He's repenting. He is, he's ready to do it. And he, he's got his speech all fixed up. God, our Father, pictured as God in that text. Don't even worry about calling me a son. I'll, I'll just be one of your servants from now on. 
So he's got the speech rehearsed. He's coming over the horizon back to his house. And as soon as the father sees him, he doesn't lecture him. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't punish him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't embarrass him. He runs to meet him. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him. He kills a cow. And then they celebrate with shouts of deliverance. Songs of deliverance long into the night. And friends, that is what God is inviting you into. That's what happens to every single sinner when they come into the light. So friends, this is your question today. Will you stay in the dark or will you walk into the light? Will you pray with me? Jesus right now is ready to give you your life back. He would love to give you your life back. He would be so happy to do that today. And here's how everyone who has failed gets their life back. Honesty. Walking in the light confessing their sin. That's how it comes back. 